I use the word blame to get people's attention. What I want you to be thinking about is how are you in control? What could you have done differently? Because embracing a situation by saying that thing did something to me, it was out of my control. There's nothing I could have done. I couldn't have done this any better. Well, now you're stuck. If instead you're asking yourself, what could I have done differently to get the result that I wanted? Now you're in control. Welcome to the Ziggler show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and we are here to inspire your true performance. Today, we have Tom Bilyeu with us. Tom is the co-founder of 2014 Inc. 500 company Quest Nutrition, a unicorn startup valued at over $1 billion. He's the co-founder and host of Impact Theory, and that focus is what we're going to be talking about today. Impact Theory, it's a first-of-its-kind company designed to facilitate global change through the incubation of mission-based businesses and the cultivation of empowering content. Every piece of content Impact Theory creates is meant to underscore the company mission to free people from the matrix and help them unlock their true potential. Impact Theory exists to inspire the next generation of game-changing companies and creators that will make a true and lasting impact on the world. So I, folks, really got interested in what Tom was doing after seeing a video on Impact Theory. Uh, it was an interview he did with Simon Sinek, the, the famous Simon. Uh, we've interviewed him. He's got the top, I think it's like the third most watched TED Talk of all time on his book, Start With Why. Uh, but, uh, Tom did an interview with Simon on impact theory about millennials and the video went viral and it helped bring a lot of people to impact theory, including myself. I've now watched countless interviews, uh, from Tom. I, I do watch countless interviews. If you find him on Instagram, t Twitter, or Facebook, or YouTube, you're going to find a hard driving approach to personal development, no excuses, and getting the most out of yourself. But in this interview, you'll hear it comes from a challenging upbringing that Tom had and a lot of compassion for our all of our humanity. Uh, Tom talks at length about how average he is and had to work so hard at learning how to be more, how he built a billion dollar company in the wellness industry, but hates working out. Uh, even though he does it every day. You also hear me tackle a controversial video he posted titled, It's All Your Fault, where he charged us to take everything bad that's ever happened to us and say, it's my fault. Sound ridiculous? Well, listen in. Uh, you can connect with Tom at impacttheory.com or just search Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, uh, or iTunes for Impact Theory. All right, folks, while we keep this show free of any offending language, we don't commit to this from all of our content or our guests and what they put out. So there's a disclaimer for you. Here then I bring you Tom Bilyeu. All right, Tom, so this is the best preview to an interview I've ever had because I just spent an hour listening to you on Facebook Live. I, I, I just happened upon it. So I've been listening to that and uh, figure you're probably feeling pretty, pretty stoked right about now after all those questions. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, for sure. The funny thing is I thought, oh, this is perfect doing them back to back. because I'll be in such like a zone. Uh, so yeah, this is, uh, this is great. And thank you, by the way, for joining me. That's, uh, always awesome. I love it when people come on live. So it was great. I, I jump on, I was actually in prep for the interview here. I was looking for something that I had seen yesterday on there and happened to see you and it was just great. And yeah, you, I could feel your energy and your adrenaline and, um, yeah, I figured you're going to be, you're going to be primed and amped for this show right here. 100%. Well, so you know what? On that, I, I preempted my own notes and put in here something. One of the last things that you said to somebody, I don't remember what their question was, but you in a very emphatic way with your 
I think fist clenched. You said, <laughs> if you want to be a pro, shut everything else out. And you talk from a personal standpoint that you have done that at, at a point to where with your marriage, you had to uh, reconfigure a, a little bit, but I want you to speak to that because we have in the, the Ziegler listening audience, just like your audience, you a lot of people who've got families, they've got jobs, they've got a lot of confines <clears throat> and to hear that it's easy for them to discount it. So speak to them in regards to how they can pursue being a pro, shut some things out, what they can and can't, but really embody that to the best they can. Yeah. I mean, here, this is just the truth of the human condition. If you want to be a pro, if you want to excel at anything, if you want greatness in your life, the truth is you actually have to become great. Like being a mediocre player, being above average is not the same as greatness. Greatness comes at an extraordinary cost. And I really believe that with virtually no exceptions, anyone can get good at anything. So it comes down to how much time and energy do you want to apply to that thing? And the quote that I was talking about during my Facebook Live, ah, I wish I could remember who said it, but it goes something like this. this is a paraphrase. But right now, somebody is working on something that you're not working on. And when you meet, they will win because they're putting in that energy. They're putting in that effort and that time. And if you want to be better than them when you meet, whether in a business context, in a sport, in anything, then you've got to have put in that inhuman amount of time. And so the question that was asked was, Tom, you say that you, you know, during the week, so this is the true statement, during the week, I'm either working out or working, period. Like that, that is it. If I'm awake, one of those two things is happening. On the weekends, I am a little bit more loose. I prioritize my wife over working. I only work on things that I really enjoy. And so I still work, but it's nothing like what it is during the week. And so he was saying like, is that, I want to be a professional athlete. Is that a good strategy for me? And my honest answer was no. Like I put in, if you think of me as an entrepreneur, as being the professional athlete, the good news is that my body doesn't wear out. So all that time and energy that I put for nearly a decade where I was ignoring my wife, where I was stressing my relationship, I was just all in. I didn't. Seven days a week, if I was awake, I was working out or working. And it was just, it was grueling, but it was critical. And it was so important to get me where I am today mentally, from an education perspective, from um, a success perspective, but most importantly, from a competence perspective, I had to put in that work. Yeah. Well, you, in coming to this show, we asked you about what you wanted to deliver. And you, this is your quote, I, I want to help. You wanted to help people get them to develop an anti-fragile, unbeatable mindset. So I've been reading up on you, researching you. And so you must have a significant story that took you from being that scared kid in Tacoma to co-founding the billion dollar quest nutrition company. But what took you from there to devoting yourself to where you are now to impact theory and to this personal development world? Really two things. So one was I've I've known for a very long time, I won't say always, but I've known for a very long time that I wanted to address both the pandemic of the body and the pandemic of the mind. And people get the pandemic of the body because it's so obvious, like people are dying. It's dying of diabetes, insanely visible, um, all, all of the metabolic diseases, which are way beyond just diabetes. But diabetes, like as you're dying of that, you start getting amputated at the toes, then the feet, then the legs. It, it's so crazy and so horrifying that people really get it. Obesity is very visible. Like, so people understand that. 
The mind, however, is it's invisible. And to me, it all comes down to a limiting belief system. So the way that I refer to what I'm doing at Impact Theory, which is a traditional, it's a non-traditional studio. So we do both the social content and traditional narrative content. So think comic books, movies, TV shows, like all of that stuff. Uh, we're at, at the infancy of the studio side. We've been focused primarily on the social side for the last year, but our end game is to beat Disney at their own game, just to give you framework. Now, the reason we want to do that, though, isn't because I have some need to build a studio. It's because I work backwards from the problem of mindset and said, how do we actually influence mindset generationally? So not just, hey, you go watch my social video and you're inspired. That only works for a very limited number of people. How do we do it generationally? Um, across cultures. And the answer to that is narrative, period. Like the way that human beings assimilate truly disruptive information is through story. That That's just fact of like human biology. So that I knew I was going to end up dealing in the dominant forms of narrative, which are, you know, books, TV shows, movies, um, comic books, video games, VR coming. We're not there yet, but like that's something that's coming that I think will really have a big impact. So I know that those are going to be the arenas that I'm going to be in, but it has to be a self-sustaining economic vehicle. Now, I never planned to do this outside of Quest. So originally, Quest was going to be my forever company, and Operation One was to end metabolic disease, which is you know addressing the body. I had just a tremendous amount of financial success there, changed my life in every aspect that you can imagine. And then I began to realize that the brand just the way that people think about brands, like they, they thought of us as the protein bar guys. Right. So when the protein bar guys started doing a show about mindset, it, it was a disconnect. They didn't understand it. And so I realized okay. you can take the same person, you can take the same team, start something from scratch, giving people that perspective, and now you can build it. So um, my, because my partners didn't necessarily share my vision, it's not yeah. fair to drag them along. And it's going to be a very long, very expensive endeavor to build all of this stuff from scratch. So like, how do we go about doing that? It just made sense, given that I had the financial wherewithal to pull it off, to spin the studio that we had built inside of Quest, to spin it out into a standalone company. Um, and so that's what I did. Okay. Well, so on that, I want to, I want to hit on that aspect of it. I, am currently reading, I'll hold it up for you to see the plant paradox, uh, yes. book, which impressively in the back of it, when it's giving you, okay, here are the good foods, you know, the, uh, non lectin foods here, are the, the, uh, the lectin full they had under, I can't remember what the category was, but they had quest bars. I, I was incredibly impressed that out of all the myriad of, of options out there that they cho chose you. And I was reading this, I don't know, I started a week ago or so before when we had this, this, uh, uh, this interview scheduled um, on that. So I want to ask, you talked about the pandemic of the body and the mind, and you're focusing on the mind. Now I come from a world similar to yours that is focused on the body. I'm uh, talking to you right now out of a functional medicine clinic that I'm partner in. And we are, you're, we're keyed in there, body, mind, that's it. Where does, and I want folks to hear this because as we look at the Ziegler wheel of life, which you and I are going to talk about in the next show and the seven spokes, one is health. One of the issues there is as we're looking at the mind and that's where we always, you know, we want to create, we want to go after our, our desires and, and dreams. And we want to be, uh, as have a, have a mind like a steel trap. Where do you put the body health within that structure? Even if it's just uh, priority or sequentially for having good yep. mind health. 
So I, I really believe that the body and the mind are exactly the same thing. And, and it's really, it would be like saying the heart and the body, it, uh, like it, they're in an ecosystem, they exist together. And it's only because consciousness arises out of the mind that people think of it as uniquely separate. But once you begin to ground it in, it's just another organ, it's in the body, it's impacted in terms of its abilities, its strength, its endurance, everything, by the whole ecosystem that you really begin to understand how important it is to take care of the body, to be physically fit. So the very first thing that I do in the morning, I wake up, the first thing I do is work out. Now I hate working out. I wish it weren't so. (laughs) I wish my brain were in a jar somewhere and I didn't have to think about my body. That would be, that would be incredible to me because it would take so much less time and energy. But the truth is, just not the way the world works. So I have to take care of my body. I have to push myself. I have to go through the constant discomfort of getting my body to the place that I want it to be for my mind to be in the place that I want it to be. So really, really critical. And I don't think people pay nearly enough attention to that feedback loop that exists between the mind and the body. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, you know, with that I, the more people I talk with on these interviews like this, I hear more and more and more and more from these folks who are world changers like yourselves about not just, and we're going to talk about daily habits in the next show, but about morning routine specifically. It's almost across the board. I don't know if I've talked with anybody who does not have without me asking, it comes out their morning routine. So I'll ask you that. So you talk about the first thing I do is work out. So before you hit the minutia of the day and work, uh, let me ask you that. What's your morning routine? Yeah. So on this, I'm, I'm religious. So I believe a morning routine starts the night before and has everything to do with what time you go to bed. So I prioritize sleep and mm-hmm. I go to bed at 9 PM. Like it's a religion. I wake up when I wake up, I don't use an alarm and people always push back on that. But dude, go to bed at whatever time you need to go to bed to wake up naturally and have time to do the things you need to do. So, um, I usually sleep between call it six to seven hours. It used to be five to six, but whatever reason right now, I'm in a cycle where I'm sleeping about seven hours a night. Um, I will get up when I get up. So if I go to bed at nine and I wake up seven hours later, what's that put me at like 4am. So I'm up at 4am ish. I hit the gym immediately. I work out for about an hour. I come out, I meditate and I do those back to back for a reason. Okay. I want to go, I want to practice going immediately from the sympathetic nervous system, excitation, all of that, to being as calm as I can, as fast as I can through meditation. After I meditate, which gets you into a really creative, calm state, an alpha wave brain state, I then do what I call thinkitating, which in meditation, you want to not think. So you're returning yourself to the breath over and over and over, trying to let your thoughts go and I found that because I was in that calm, creative state, that I was getting some of my best ideas. And I was really frustrated that I wasn't able to leverage that to think through some of the biggest problems that I had in my business. So I started allocating specific time to staying in a, in a meditative state, keeping my breath going, but now letting my mind wander across whatever big problems I was facing. And that has been just really, really beneficial. Uh, I'm very glad I started doing that. And I find that I just like, my brain is making unique connections and it's very, very fruitful. And then from that, I go read. And depending on what time I wake up, will determine how much time I have to read. And that is the thing that I usually truncate if I'm running low on time. Um, my fantasy days, I get up to an hour to read, which is amazing. Yeah. Then I go from reading to my important things list. 
And I just start going down my important things list until um, I have my first meeting. I never take meetings before 10 a.m. So, you know, in that, like I'm working from, you know, on when I'm in a shorter sleep cycle where let's say I'm getting five hours of sleep, I'll be working from or working out from 3 a.m. up through, you know, that first meeting at 10. So I've had seven hours to do the things that are optimizing me, that are my most important things that I could be attacking. And so like all of that is, is really critical. And one thing that I want people to hear that I don't do is email. So I don't check email. I don't let other people control my time or schedule. Uh, I keep that list of important things, which are the most important things that I could be working on to move the business forward. All right. Well, I saw a video, I think it was on your Twitter account and you talked about, you were showcasing your own physical transformation and you said the biggest uh, crux, my paraphrasing, was changing my identity. And that at the end of the day, identity and values drive behavior. And you talked about changing your narrative, which you talk about a lot. And you cited, if you tell yourself you're scared, and talking about yourself, uneducated kid from Tacoma whose family never accomplished anything, you'll become just that. But then on the flip side, and I was waiting for you to take a glass half full look at your upbringing and you surprised me. You didn't try to paint the picture of the circumstances as, as rosy. You instead spoke to the qualities of, of strength and ability in essence and, and prophesied to those to a degree uh, that you could derive from those circumstances, which to me felt a lot more realistic and digestible uh, for people who did come from hard things. It is really difficult to make that look nice. Was that a uh, conscientious approach to helping people look at those real circumstances that are hard. Yeah. And maybe even more than that, it's understanding that your frame of an event is more important than the event itself. So, you know, Tony Robbins talks a lot about ask yourself how the worst thing that ever happened to you is the best thing that ever happened to you. And just forcing yourself to really find a real answer to that, by the way, not, not some BS answer, but to, to really find a real answer. And there always is one. And even if it's the lesson that you learned, knowing that like take abuse, which is one of the worst things that could ever happen to somebody, especially when you're a child, is to be the person that then breaks the cycle. To have gone through that, now you can be so empathetic towards other people and you can really help them. Like Even just that is already amazing to think, okay, and I wouldn't have this gift. I wouldn't be able to do that for other people if I hadn't gone through that. It doesn't make what happened okay. It doesn't make it any better. It just means that there is something amazing that's going to come out of that because you choose to focus on that. So that like understanding that, that the frame of reference is a choice. Yeah. How you look at something is a choice. What you choose to learn from something is a choice. So, and those choices can be empowering or disempowering and that, that, that will change your life for sure. So on this, on, on your effort, do you feel, I'm curious that you're from a personal purpose here that your messaging, your communication to people comes, your, your, your ultimate, the thing you want to deliver that you just spent an hour on Facebook live comes from uh, a passion for the culture, a burden, an anger. Where does it germinate for you? What's the, what's the feeling that drives it? It, it? So there's both. I think there's light and dark and everything. And there's no question that I have a chip on my shoulder and that I am hell bent to do something and, Um, that that darkness accounts for about 20% of my motivation. 
80% of my motivation though is on the other side and it's the lightness, it's the beauty, it's the gratitude, it's all the great things that have happened for me that I want to help bring to the world, like all of that. And I try to spend the majority of my time, the vast majority of my time there and in that beautiful place. But there's no question that there's times where the beauty is going to fail you and that you need something that has that harsh edge. And they've done studies on this where you can ask somebody to submerge their arm um, in an ice bucket and see how long they can deal with that pain and they get a baseline. And then they say, okay, right as you're about to pull it out, instead of doing that, I want you to express anger. I want you to let yourself be enraged. And people can leave their um, arm in there for 30% more. They can deal with 30% more pain because they're able to express that anger. So I find that wow. anger, um, the, the haters, if you will, like having a chip on your shoulder about not letting them be right, in very acute moments, like that will really, really help. Now, if you let that become systemic, if that's where you spend, in my estimation, more than 20% of your time becomes corrosive, ends up being bad, it does not help you, doesn't move you towards your goals. So you have to be really, really careful of that. But it, it, it is both, right? And so it is a deep frustration with um, how many stupid decisions I made as a kid, how lazy I was, even as into my early 20s, and being profoundly dissatisfied with myself for doing that and really kicking myself and like, you know, making bigger demands and holding myself to a, a higher standard and being more accountable. And that all came from that, like being very, very unhappy with that. But then also then looking at, okay, how do I want to show up? How do I want to help people? Is there things that I've learned that'll be beneficial to other people that I can spend that time and do? So like my Facebook live was, I, through the school of hard knocks, I have learned these things. And um, I think it was um, Aristotle, either Aristotle or Socrates, I can't remember which, that said, read so you may learn with ease what others have learned with great difficulty. And it's like, I, I want to do that. I want to help people learn much more easily what I have learned. And social media just gives us a chance, as you well know, right? Gives us a chance to really share that with people. Absolutely. Friends, I hope you're getting as much out of this interview as I am. Again, you can connect with Tom at impacttheory.com or just search Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or iTunes for Impact Theory. And if you get value here, please let us know in iTunes and leave a review. Hey, I have a new resume service to tell you about and a great place to post jobs for new hires. Then we'll dive back into the interview. So first, top resume. Your resume is the most important tool in your job search. It's your first impression, your ticket to the interview. The resume experts at Top Resume know how to get you noticed. With Top Resume, you'll work with an expert writer to create a resume that showcases your achievements, experience, and career goals. It highlights keywords and skills that recruiters are seeking and gets you interviews faster by telling the best version of your story. That's what we all need help with. So get this top resume has been proven to result in two to three times more interviews for job seekers. That's because a professionally written resume is 60% more likely to be read by recruiters and three times more likely to be chosen for follow-up by recruiters based on formatting and presentation alone. In fact, with top resumes, 60 day interview guarantee, if you don't get twice as many interviews, they'll rewrite your resume for free. A new job typically comes with at least a 10% raise. So are you ready to take that first step to making more money? Go to topresume.com slash Ziggler and get started with 10% off a resume writing service package. That's topresume.com slash Ziggler for 10% off a resume writing service package. 
Uh, next is ZipRecruiter. If you're hiring, do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Uh, hiring can be easier, more streamlined, less time consuming. So even when you're busy, you can still be smart about the way you hire. If you're hiring, you know that quality hires keep your business moving forward, but you also know it can take a lot of time to find the right candidate for the job. So with ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. Then ZipRecruiter puts its smart matching technology to work, actively notifying qualified candidates about your job within minutes of posting. So you receive the best possible matches. Unlike other hiring sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on the right candidates finding you. It finds them. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Simply screen rate and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. You can find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. Right now, Ziggler listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter totally free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Ziggler. ZipRecruiter.com slash Ziggler. Well, so you just mentioned emotions and in essence feelings. And I'll take that. I mean, the majority of, if I take for face value, I look at Instagram, I look at Twitter, I look at Facebook, even and and what you you're putting out there, it's very forward focused. It's very forward thinking. And yet you are talking about emotions and feelings. And I want you to kind of speak to where that is, because I think people can often hear that, you know, here you are, you're driving, let's go forward. Let's not worry about, uh, what's happening right now. Let's just go towards the goal. And yet I know you also do put emphasis on your past and dealing with that on emotions, on feelings, uh, help, help kind of, um, uh, clarify that for folks so that they can understand that you're not just the guy who has no feelings and is only going forward. Well, yeah, I I think I have maybe the most feelings. So first of all, feelings are the body's way of telling you something. And, and, and let me say it more specifically, it's the subconscious, um, the subconscious's form of communication. So your emotions are all that data that's being processed by the subconscious, which they say is faster and vaster. It's speaking to you by giving you emotion. So whether that's an unease, whether that's excitement, that is your subconscious telling you something. Now, I try to always listen to my subconscious because it, it, it is able to process data faster and faster than I can consciously. The conscious mind is like the very small tip of a gigantic iceberg. So not leveraging your emotions, I think it'd be foolish. Also, pretending that you don't have emotions is also foolish. So we all have a body. We all have a brain that has certain um, traits and aspects like an amygdala, which is meant to process fear. We have regions of the brain that paint our experiences with emotion. And here's a fascinating thing. If you damage the region of the brain that generates emotions, people become, get ready for this, incapable of making a decision. It is one of the most fascinating um, revelations of what happens when the brain gets damaged that reveals like how we actually make decisions. The way you make decisions is based on feeling. It is not based on all the logic in the world. So the people that have this particular kind of brain damage, they can still explain to you, you know what, like we've got a couple different options. We could go get, you know, Mexican for dinner. Um, and I could get the nachos that I love so much, or like I could go and get like a, a nice healthy fish dish. Um, you know, something simply grilled, and I should have the fish dish, you know, it's simply grilled and that's better. You know, my doctor tells me that's better for me, uh, but I really do like the nachos. And 
even though logically they know what they should do, they can't make a decision because they don't have the emotion in either direction. So mm-hmm. emotion is incredibly, incredibly powerful. Now I run everything against the logic of, I have a goal is what I'm about to do, whether based on my emotion or not going to move me towards my goal or not. Now I read my emotions, um, to see like what they're trying to tell me, but then I, I recognize that my emotions also will lie. So you have to be very careful. Your emotion, the fear, the whatever might be trying to protect you from a lion in the bush. That's not really a problem for me. So while it evolutionarily may have been very advantageous, may not be advantageous today. So you have to keep it all in check. Understanding the brain and how this all works has really been incredibly powerful for me. You, um, on this, you posted a Twitter question recently. It said, it was one of the memes, uh, graphics, what belief is holding you back and ask for responses. And I was curious with you as the receiver of that, as you're going through those, what were some of the leading responses for what is holding people back? Fear. And it, look, it, it's, I'm not good enough. Uh, I'm not smart enough. I don't come from the right background. You know, genetically I'm not gifted. It's, it's all these like, People want to be by nature some something other than average. And here's yeah. the great news. We're all average. Like the law of averages states yeah. that we're literally average. It is a bell curve. I promise you're average. Like the, the odds of you not being average are against you. So, and I get it. They do studies on this stuff all the time. And everybody thinks that they're above average. Like no matter what the math says, they just assume oh, I must be above average in this. Uh, the truth is you're not. That's great news because the human animal is an adaptation machine. So whether you start average or even behind the eight ball doesn't matter. The human ability to grow and adapt is absolutely phenomenal. So they um, decoded the human genome and they thought this is going to solve all of our problems. They look at it and realize we only have 20,000 genes. They look at certain types of onions that have 40,000 genes and, and they were just literally perplexed. Is it really possible that an onion is more genetically complicated than us? And then they begin to realize that what we thought was junk DNA that makes up the vast majority of of our genome, they realize are epigenetic markers, things that code for how to respond to our environment. Now that's where humans shine. The human ability to adapt to our environment, whether that's a, an emotional environment that we create for ourselves, going into the gym and creating an alternate physical environment, running marathons, like whatever the environment is that you create for yourself, like we will adapt to that environment and we will get good at dealing with that environment, which is utterly fascinating. The number of environments that we can respond to with both physiological adaptations. There was a woman that swam the Bering Strait with nothing more than a wetsuit. The Bering Strait is essentially liquid ice. I mean, it's about as cold as you're going to get without freezing. And she swam it without, with just a wetsuit. And I forget how long she was in the water, but it was a very long time where most people would get into hypothermia and die. And she didn't because she spent a year acclimatizing herself to the cold. So it, it is just, it is unimaginably cool the way that the body and the mind can respond. So, but you have to put yourself through that stressor. So don't worry about where you start, worry about where you want to go, the price you're willing to pay to get there. That's really the, the ultimate thing about a, being a human being is that like putting yourself through that transformation process. So when people write in and say that they're afraid, when they think I don't have money or I don't have um, the right genetics or whatever their excuse is, is to recognize that the excuse is valid, but it doesn't help you and you can adapt. Go about placing the stressors on yourself to become capable. Okay. Well, you just talked, you just mentioned the price that, uh, that we're willing to pay. 
Um, so another post and I just, I spent a long time just looking at your core messages, but you may, you had one that resonated with me a lot. I'm not a fan of the word easy. And your quote was, don't ask what's the least you can do. Ask what is the most that you can bear. I, how do you find that message though? The engagement or the acceptance of that when we've got a culture who is admittedly very focused on comfort from, you know, the easy things that we don't want to get off the couch to change the channel or out of the car to lift the garage door. Now we have car doors that open for themselves and remote control lawnmowers and so on and so on. So we can sit down and then we go pay for a gym membership. Of course, uh, maybe we can hire personal trainers to work out for us at, at some point. So, I mean, here we are, I mean, that is the culture and, and it is what it is. And you put a message out like that feels like it's a big, and I understand it. It's a big, it's a big paradigm shift for folks. Don't you find it's interesting because in what I found in my community is people self-select. So I, the vast majority of the world, obviously, uh, if they were to encounter my page would be like, yeah, this guy is full of, and they just have no interest. Um, but for the people that stay and are like, whoa, this really resonates with me. So I consider myself a filter. They resonate with that image, that notion, those ideas, and so I don't get pushback. And so okay. most of, not entirely, yeah. but most of the comments and feedback that I get are, you know, I needed to hear this. Thank you so much. And the great news is it's the truth. So even if I met a tsunami of people that were like, this is BS, like this isn't true. Uh, like there's only one path to greatness. Like when was somebody ever great at something by being average at that thing? The answer is never. They may be average at other things, but the thing that they become known for, they've somehow become extraordinary at that thing, right? Athletes are really easy to talk about. Right. You never see the kid that's average in high school stay average and somehow play on college ball, play in the NBA. It just doesn't work. At some point, you encounter people that are better than you, they dominate you, and you fall out. So. Yeah, there's only one path to success, and that's to be better than everybody else. Well, I love the athlete analogy because, yeah, we sit on the couch on Sundays or every day now that they have, you know, football or whatever playing and are, are get livid at, oh my gosh, that guy, and, and criticize, you know, folks. And we want them to totally go for it and we cheer when they did. And yet we're sitting on the couch. I mean, your, your analogy there reminds me, we just interviewed Donald Miller and his book, a million miles in a thousand years. He talked about that. You know, his story for the past year is he worked, saves up some money and, and bought a, I don't know, a vacuum cleaner or something. Who cares? What kind of story is that? And he wanted to live a greater story, which takes what you're talking about. If you can, I'm curious Tom, again, with the amount of content that you put out with the size of your audience, if you could fill an audience with 50 people, that's your target market, the people that you resonate most, the people that inspire you to talk to, who are they? It's anybody that feels like they could do more, they could be more, but they don't know how to do it. They're willing to put in the work, but they really need to understand how to shape their mind. Um, that's it. And the movie, the matrix for me is the perfect metaphor. And Neo is the kind of person that I'm looking for. It's somebody who's already asking the question, you know, what is the matrix? And I don't think we actually live in the matrix, but it's just a fascinating metaphor. So you've got a guy who's already asking the question, who feels like he could do more, he could be more, and he's open to the information. He's open to being changed. 
And that is, I think, the critical recipe for anybody that wants to get better. You have to be open to it, right? It's going to take a paradigm shift because I believe that wherever you are in life, your talents and your current intelligence has gotten you to that place. It's not going to take you any farther. So you're going to have to improve your skill set. You're going to have to get smarter in order to go any farther. Love the matrix focus. And I see that in a lot of your content. Take the red pill. Uh, Exactly. You, of course, are bringing to all of us, your message from your heart, from your experience, from, from your wisdom, from your struggles. You also bring in, as I do, the best of the best that are out there and your interviews. Matter of fact, that's how I, I found out about you. I got contacted about having you on the show a long time ago and I knew you as the quest guy. I didn't know much more than that. Then I saw somebody I'm sure tagged me on it. And I saw the interview that you did with Simon Sinek on millennials, which was dramatic. I sent it to my kids immediately and I'm, I'm sure I shared it on social media, but it, it, it showcased to me what you were doing and got me into your fold in those interviews. Well, I'll ask, you know, from recent interviews that you have done, whose message is foremost rolling around in your head right now, past few days? Uh, well, it's not a new message over the past few days, but the guy that I'm obsessed with is David Goggins. Um, that guy is just unbelievable. So he was a Navy SEAL and he believed growing up that he was the weakest man that God ever created and he wanted to become the toughest man alive. And he said, look, I don't know if I have accomplished it or not, but I needed that goal and that was the thing that I went after. And man, talking to that guy, if he isn't the toughest guy that ever lived, he's close. It's very, very impressive. Ultra endurance athlete who's just done some of the most incredible things I've ever heard of in my life. So inspiring. Uh, and he really occupies a lot of my brain. I now think I have a David Goggins region of my brain okay. uh, that kicks in when I'm feeling lazy or weak and I need something to really like get me going again. Uh, I'll definitely think of David Goggins. Okay, great. So uh, if he inspires you, then folks, we got to go listen to it. I, I will. You know, on that, on influences, in as you have gone through this process from the the scared kid in Tacoma to uh, all that led up to Quest Nutrition and now to where you are with Impact Theory, have you had? Did you have a specific mentor or someone who influenced you and walked with you? Oh, geez, the way you say that's really great. So the person that's had the biggest influence on my life and definitively has walked with me is my wife. Uh, and I, I just really, truly would not be the person that I am today. And that's not me saying like that to protect my marriage. Cause she might listen to this. That is me like truly, when I think about who shaped me as a human, uh, her and the biggest impact wow. that she's had for sure is every time I'm knocked to my knees and I'm just exhausted emotionally. And I, I just don't see the way forward instead of getting on her knees with me, putting an arm around me and crying with me. What she does is extend a hand, pick me back up brush me off and give me, I don't know if you remember the movie Jerry Maguire, but in that yeah. his uh, then wife gives him or girlfriend gives him this speech about who he is and like and that he's capable. And he was like, yeah, yeah, give me more of this. This is working. It's like, that's my wife. She's given me, you know, a thousand talks like that in those moments where I'm like, wow, I just feel really lost. I don't know where I'm going right now. And she's just always got me at that moment, reminding me not of who I am, of who I'm trying to become. And that's the thing that I'm just insanely grateful. And then we've explored the growth mindset together and held each other accountable and just really, really push each other and shared what we're learning. And so, yeah, she's been just an absurdly great ally for me. Incredible. How long have you guys been married? 
We've been married for 15 years together for 17. Got it. Beautiful. All right. Well, you know, I saw on your site, this is an off tangent thing. You have a book list. You should do it. If you don't have it, a, a movie list so far, we've got the matrix and Jerry Maguire, both that I own. I'm, I'm curious as the other ones. So uh, there you go. So sometime put that out there. I'd love to see it. No, that's a, that's a great idea. We actually just launched um, a YouTube channel called impact theory studios yeah. where the whole, like I said at the beginning, this whole goal is to build a studio to rival Disney. So we're now going to be putting out social content that is all geared around how I extract knowledge from movies. So um, I think it'll be a different take on that, but we'll be talking about TV shows, movies, like what you can learn about leadership from game of Thrones, um, stuff like that. We just did a review or a panel discussion really on blade runner 2049, which talking about identity memories, how to use them, how they work against you. Uh, It's really exciting. Uh, seriously, I, I would be a huge fan. I am very picky with what I risk my two hours of my life on with a movie, but the ones where if I can come away with something redemptive, something that inspires me, well, I, I buy it and I own it and I'll stick it in when I'm answering emails late at night or whatever. And, uh, but finding that, I, I think we played with that one time. We joked around about having like redemptive movie.com. Uh, nice. so when you've got it, let us know. We'll, uh, we'll let everybody else know about it. Nice, man. It is live now. And I'll do the, okay. the list is actually a really great idea. I'll, I'll definitely. Well, I just thought about list. it because you've got, the, I thought about doing one myself, but you've got the book list. I'd love to see it next to it because I looked yeah. at your books and the ones that I didn't have, I'm checking out. Uh, I would do the same thing with movies because one that, that gives me some fire is priceless. Um, absolutely. That. That's a great idea. We will do that for sure. All right. Awesome. So here is, here's a biggie. I I've, uh, this is the one I wanted to get to. So, uh, I saw again, I think it was Facebook page. You had a short video there and you prefaced it by saying, this is the most controversial thing I've ever said, but it's the very secret to success. And it was the little, I think it was a minute clip off of maybe a four minute clip you had, uh, at the website or something called it's all your fault. I don't think I've ever heard somebody speak what I have played around with in my head uh, and I haven't defined it as well. And uh, so I don't, I don't have to now because you did, and I'm going to share it with my family first. And uh, actually, no, I did share it on my Facebook page today, but I'm going to talk wow. to my family about it because yeah, talk about controversial. It's huge. So folks, I would, if you'll go actually just type in Tom bill, uh, and it's your fault. I think it'll just come up, hit videos in Google or wherever you're looking for it. And I think you'll find it right there at the top. Of course, it's on the Facebook page. If you go to Tom bill you and hit videos, you'll find it. I don't know, 15 down or something like that. Tell us, talk to us about that. I mean, it is, it's hugely controversial and hard to do justice in a short stint, but it's dramatic. So fill us in. Yeah. So this is definitely the most controversial thing I say. This is the one thing I get pushed back, like even from my audience. And and this is heartbreaking to me. And the reason it's heartbreaking is until you do this, you're never going to succeed like that. I can't say it any more plainly than that. And it goes like this. Everything in your life is your fault. Now you can't stop yourself from being victimized, but you can definitely stop yourself from playing the role of the victim. And so the example that I give people is my wife is British. So let's say that she's at home with her mom in the house that she grew up in. The doors are locked. The alarm is on. She's in the bed that she grew up in. She is safe and sound. And right at that moment, a meteorite comes screaming through the atmosphere, crashes into her bedroom and kills her. Whose fault is that? 
Now, if you don't know me and didn't get, just get that preamble, then uh, most people are going to say it's fate, it's dumb luck, it's you know divine providence, it's nobody's fault. And the truth is, it's my fault. Now, I literally mean that. And the reason that it's my fault, I know right now there is a group of people that track what are called near-earth objects, and they're trying to find a way to deal with things that are on a collision course with Earth. So whether that becomes a powerful laser or a planted nuclear explosion, like whatever that's going to be, I know they exist. I know they're doing that. I've never sent them a dime of money. Mm. I've never called them on the phone to give them my ideas. I've never written them an email with encouraging words. I've done nothing. Now, I think that that's the right answer because I think that the odds of my wife being killed by a meteorite are vanishingly slim. So applying my time and energy there just doesn't seem like a good use of my time. But the truth is, if my wife is killed by that, I'm not going to waste time saying that it, I couldn't have done something because I could have and I chose not to. So in that moment, I'm not doing that to beat myself up. And that's what I want people to hear. I'm not saying that to feel badly about myself. I'm saying that to remind myself I'm always in control. Mm -hmm. There is always something I could have done to get a different result. And even if that's a lie, it's an empowering lie. It does not do me any good to list all the things that I couldn't do because here's the truth. You are way more likely to be wrong on the weak side than you are to be wrong on the empowering side. So I would just rather force myself to take ownership of everything to make sure that I never miss an opportunity to remain in control, to make a different decision, to go in a positive and empowering direction. And I literally don't understand people that want me to acknowledge that, no, there, there are things that are outside of your control. To what end do you want me to agree with that? Like, sure, fine. Now, how does that help me? How does that help you? If they feel better for being right, if they're just searching the internet for something to be right about, I promise they're going to lose in life. Okay. Well, let's dig in more. And again, I, this is something that resonates with me, but I haven't put it out there either because it's not only controversial. I don't think I have understood how to, how to define it. So to what you said, can we assume that the reason that we want to put blame out there, the reason we want to is because we're trying to get rid of the possibility of guilt and shame on ourselves. So what you're saying sounds like an offering to open your, your arms wide open and take the guilt and shame for everything. But on the opposite side, and I think you said this, uh, or, or I read this, the opposite side though, if we don't take that, we are giving, and again, I'm paraphrasing. So, so correct me on how you said it. You're giving power to something else. And there's a no-win situation in that. Yes? Yeah. So first of all, I don't want the guilt and shame. I'm not taking on the guilt and shame unless that serves me. If feeling guilty and shaming myself is going to move me towards my goals, then I'll do it. But the odds are that it's not going to. And that's what I want people to understand. I use the word blame to get people's attention. What I want you to be thinking about is how are you in control? What could you have done differently? Because embracing a situation by saying, that thing did something to me. It was out of my control. There's nothing I could have done. I couldn't have done this any better. Well, now you're stuck. If instead you're, going, you're asking yourself, what could I have done differently to get the result that I wanted? Now you're in control. So you're absolutely right. If you refuse to own it, if you refuse to say I could have done something differently, then you're giving power over to something else. And really think about what it means to take ownership of media rights. People actually do it, so it actually is possible. And when you think like that, then to me you get into Elon Musk territory where it's like he looks at what's going on with pollution and goes, well, I, 
no one else is creating the you know electric car company, so I guess I have to do it. Um, we're not an interplanetary species yet, so I guess I'm going to have to do it. The rockets don't exist, so I guess I'm going to have to build them, right? And he just does it. He's never saying like, oh my God, like this problem is unovercomable. It's so big, and I wish that other people weren't polluting, and I wish that the government would legislate our way out of this. He just says, how can I own it? How can I create the solution? And that is the, the absolute moral of my story. Stay in a solution-oriented mindset, period. Don't blame yourself. Don't worry about guilt, shame. It's just all about ownership. Ownership. Okay. In that, can I, can I ask your thoughts just again on dealing with that, that there's got to be, so if you're going to take ownership, you're going to accept blame, you're going to accept that control and that power, which we want, that it's got to come with some aspect or maybe a huge aspect of of grace to our own imperfect humanity and that we are not, we can't control everything, but again, we're accepting control. So does grace fit in there? It's interesting. That's a really fascinating word. And I think that that will help people like meet yourself with compassion, meet yourself with love. Don't waste time beating yourself up. Right. I'm not going to like, if my wife were killed by a meteorite, I'm not going to waste time feeling badly about it. It was a choice. I'm just also not going to waste time saying I couldn't have done anything because I could have, and I chose not to. And it was without being a psychic, it is the right decision, right? Because the energy that I'm putting into, you know, like if I put energy into saving her from a meteorite, that's time that I wouldn't be spending, say, trying to make sure that we can afford the best healthcare, right? So things that have a way bigger likelihood of being, um, important in our future. So it, to the best of your ability, you're going to do things. Just don't waste time saying that you couldn't have done something else. So yes, grace, self-compassion, self-love, like those are so important. Love it. Uh, thank you. I love the topic. I want to talk about that one, uh, more, and I'll probably pull that one into some more stuff that we're doing because it is, um, as you said, it's the, it's the crux of everything, uh, to a great, to a great degree with Talking back again about people you've had on the show and your own journey in this personal development bent with the impact theory podcast, with the show that you've had with, uh, people that are, are, are famous that we know people that we've never heard of. You bring on the most amazing people. What has in this endeavor, in this initiative from you, what has surprised you since starting it, something you weren't expecting, whether that's a fruition or, or a challenge, either way, something you didn't anticipate? That's a great question. Um, I always wanted it to drive relationships and that's been the, the best thing. Um, but certainly not the most surprising. I think the most surprising is how consistent across very diverse, um, arenas, types of success, you hear the same things. Mm. And that's been really, really cool to see. I, I really think that some of anyway, the principles of success in any endeavor are truly universal. And so hearing people talk about those that aren't listening to each other, it's just really, truly what they've had to do to accomplish, like taking ownership. That's yeah. just universal. You have to do that. And until you do that, you're just not going to be successful. What guest uh, surprised you the most uh, for good or bad either way? Ooh. Um, I'll say that the person in real time that just like dropped my, dropped my jaw to the floor, um, was Blake Leeper. 
And that guy, he was born with no legs below the knees, but has set himself on the path to become one of the fastest men on the planet. He already is one of the fastest men. He wants to be the fastest man on the planet, either able-bodied or handicapped. And it's just astonishing, astonishing. And so in real time, I was like, wow, this guy's mindset is unbelievable. Wow. Anyone on your list that you really want to interview and have not yet? That list is legion. Uh, there are many, many people. So I'll give you a few. Um, Stephen King, who's had a huge impact on my life. Uh, Jay-Z, Barack Obama, man, Michelle Obama. Um, yeah, there. that, like, we actually keep a list of people that uh, I really want to interview. Eminem would be incredible. Uh, Will Smith. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, the list goes on and on. When you get Will Smith, connect me. I, I, I have that on my list as well. Most definitely. Your interview with, uh, speaking of people, uh, Maria Sharapova. Yeah. Famous tennis star. And you ask her what she does. And, and again, paraphrasing is always to keep herself going when it's just really hard. And uh, we talked about this in a recent show, just from a motivation standpoint, that even though there's something that we really want, we have a big desire, we know the action steps to, to, to take, we have the ability, and yet the day comes, the moment comes where ah, it's just really difficult to get ourselves to do what we need to do. So you ask her about that, and she responded with something I would not have, uh, wasn't part of my own conscience, repetition, repetition. And she said, repetition builds or develops discipline. And that was, I think you then discussed it from that point on. I just wrote it down. I thought, I want to talk about that. Have you, with the repetition, I mean, that's, that's a different answer. I wasn't expecting that at all. Right. Is that, how did that resonate with you? Yeah, I love that. And I think that what's really interesting is you have a chicken and egg problem with repetition. Like if you don't have the discipline first to survive the repetition, like how do you get into the repetition to build the discipline? Right? So it, it really comes down to at some point, just doing the hard thing, wanting something enough on the other side that you're willing to begin that process where it's awkward and it's hard and you hate it. And then it becomes a routine and then you do it a lot. And then you start really taking pride in your ability to do the repetition and then you're getting results. And, and so it becomes this like self-reinforcing engine that's incredibly powerful. And the fact that she was able to really put her finger on that and understand that that's been a big part of what's made her so great is a willingness to just do it over and over and over and over. It's really pretty incredible. I, I loved it. It reminded me of a video I saw once. It was from the Olympics. It was one of the men gymnast and he had a bad incident and he was talking to his coach who was also a stepdad. And the guy said, at this point you're in it, just go trust the training, go trust mm-hmm. your training. I, I love that. And that's what it spoke to me too. When she spoke about that. Well, man, I could talk to you all day on, on these folks. You got to tune in to everything that Tom is doing. If you're a fan of Ziggler, you're going to resonate. I would say, yeah, that you see face value, you see a lot of hard charge and go forward. And then yet when we get into it, when you listen to his videos and you read his stuff, he, I love how you hit on just the reality, the humanity that we all have. And you're so sensitive to that on that to end, what do you want to be known for? If you've got a year left, that's it. That's your game. You're over then. What do you want to be known for? What do you want your legacy to be? That's interesting. I don't think about legacy. So I really want to pull people out of the matrix at scale. So help people over their limiting Mm. beliefs. That's what I want to do. Um, I'm entirely interested in, in that while I'm here and alive and being active and really doing it. Um, so 
yeah, if I'm going to be remembered, hopefully it's for something as beautiful as that. Okay. Well, I'm going to take that quote and attribute to you, pull people out of the matrix at scale. All right. That's, that's quotable right there. I, uh, I want to be part of that club too. Uh, man, thank you. Thanks for taking the time to bless our audience today to share with us. Incredibly grateful for the work that you're doing to help us improve ourselves. Thanks for having me on, man. It really is an honor. Well, Ziegler friends, that interview with Tom Bill, you should give you some massive conviction to do something, to take action. As you heard, Tom didn't just fall out of the sky on top of the world. He started with zero and just did the work. Very much a Zig Ziglar story. He did it day by day. So if you want to know what he did to get to success, the nitty gritty, and now what he does day to day, tune in to the next show, episode 496, to hear about his habits for all seven spokes on the Ziggler Wheel of Life. And folks, again, if you got value, please leave a review for us in iTunes. Hey, thank you for being here. 